0: good morning everyone Uh, if you don't know me my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the pastor here and it's great to see all of you here and hopefully we've worked out our technical difficulties and there are people who are joining us online today as well so this week we are ending our series reaching out without freaking out this is the last Sunday and um, we've been going through this series Mainly because we all know, if you've been in the church any short period of time, you know that as Christians we are to reach out into our communities in the name of Jesus. And yet there are many of us who do not feel like we have the gift of evangelism. There are many of us who don't know where to start when it comes to reaching out. Uh, There are some of us who, we are not gregarious extroverts, And we feel like we don't know how to talk to strangers, okay? And and there are all kinds of other types of people who are here in this church. And yet, we all know that we are to reach out. But yet, we can freak out when someone says, Hey, let's go out into the community and tell people about Jesus. Or do something to help them see that Jesus is who he says he is. But the truth is that all of us can be involved... Every single one of us can do the things that we've talked about in this series. We can pray, we can listen, we can invite, and we can serve. All of those things are things that every single one of us can do, and that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Well, today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16, verses one through 13, and we're going to see another way that we can reach out without freaking out. Although by the end of the sermon you might think, you might freak out a little bit about what Jesus says to do in order to reach out, but we'll see. So Luke 16 verses 1 through 13, this is the word of God. He, that is Jesus, also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for your word. Please help us to understand it. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, and minds that can understand, and give us a will to obey, to repent of sin, to repent of bad attitudes, and to turn to Jesus, in whom all the treasures and riches of our God is found. And Jesus, help us today to be better followers of you, so that we really can reach out to the world around us, to our community, in ways that reflect who you are. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So I'm curious, how many of you have ever seen the 1978 musical Grease? starring John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Show of hands of people. Okay, so, so there's a good number of you have seen it. All right, so if you've ever seen that movie, maybe you remember this part from the end where you're thinking, that seemed to come out of left field. If you don't remember what I'm talking about, let me just get into it. So generally speaking, the movie is fairly realistic. I mean, realistic for a musical, because, you know, people don't normally burst out into song and dance in the middle of real life. But for a musical, it is grounded in some semblance of reality until the end when Travolta and Newton-John, they're in his car and they're driving off into the sunset and everybody's singing around them to live happily ever after, and the car starts to fly. You guys remember this part? I mean, when I say fly, I mean literally it flies. It goes up into the air, up into the clouds, like an airplane flying through the sky. And if you're watching that movie for the first time, you're probably thinking, What was that all about? Right? Maybe some of you had that same reaction when you heard Jesus' words today. Because it sounds like a very strange parable. A very strange application. Maybe you heard it and you're tempted to ask, What was that all about? And and we have to admit, this is, for Jesus' kinds of parables, it... It seems a little out there. And when you hear it, it sounds a little discombobulating. It's a great word, by the way. So let me give you what I believe is the overarching idea that Jesus is laying down here, and then we'll try to spell that out some. Are you ready? So I think what Jesus is trying to get at in this parable is this. Jesus calls us to use the resources available to us wisely with eternity in mind. Now that's a lot. So let me say that again. Jesus calls us to use the resources available to us wisely with eternity in mind. Now that we know that that's the big picture, let's talk about how this plays out in this passage. And I'm going to ask you to allow me a few liberties as I retell this parable. All right. So there's this mega rich guy. Let's give him a name. Um, Bezos sounds like a good name for a mega rich guy. So Bezos, he's so rich. I mean, he's mega, mega rich. He's got all this stuff and he's got so much stuff that he has to hire a manager a steward, someone to manage and take care of all of his stuff. So that's what Bezos does. He he hires a manager. But the manager that he hires isn't the greatest guy. So let's give him a name. Uh, Madoff sounds like a good name for him. So Bezos hires Madoff to look after his stuff. And then Bezos finds out that Madoff is wasting his resources. Now, for all of you budding Bible scholars out there, and I know there are a few of you, the word in verse 1 that says wasting, that he was wasting his resources, that's actually the same word that is used in the previous chapter when Jesus is telling the parable of the uh, prodigal son. It's what the prodigal son does with his father's resources. Both the prodigal son and this manager, they are squandering what had been entrusted to them. Okay. So, Bezos finds out that Madoff is doing this, and he comes to him and he says, Madoff, I'm going to have to let you go. You are out of here. You're canned. I'm kicking you to the curb. You are fired. And I want you to turn in all your records. I want you to give all your accounts back to me and the books that you've been keeping for me, and then I want you to clear out your desk and go. And now Madoff is... You know, uh, what am I going to do now? I mean, I don't want to dig ditches. I don't want to beg. I definitely don't want to starve. And then a light bulb pops up over top of his head because he gets a great idea. He says, oh, I know what I'm going to do. And he goes to one of the debtors of his master Bezos. And he says, hey, how much do you owe my master? And the debtor says a uh, hundred grand, and then Madoff's like, "Okay, so I want you to take out your bill, and I want you to mark through that hundred grand, and then I want you to write down fifty thousand instead." And the debtor's like, "Woohoo! That sounds great. Thanks, appreciate that, Madoff. And hey, if you ever need a place to crash, call me." And Madoff's like, "Will do." Thanks, Mr. Debtor number one. And then Madoff goes to another debtor and another debtor and another debtor until one by one he goes to all of these debtors that Bezos has and he slices and dices chunks off of each person's debt, hoping that each person will help him out when he's out on the street. And then Madoff brings the financial books back to Bezos, and and he says, here you are, have a good day, have a nice life, we'll see you later. And he starts to walk out the door, but Bezos being a smart manager, I mean a, a smart master, he starts flipping through the financial records, he's thumbing through to see what's going on in there, and he notices what Madoff has done. And Bezos says, hold up, Madoff, don't leave yet. Now, at this point, we all expect Bezos to go through the roof, right? That's what we would expect if we're hearing the story for the first time. We would all expect him to lose it. We would all expect him to throw the book at Madoff, both literally and figuratively, and see this scammer locked up in jail. But in an M. Night Shyamalan type of twist, Bezos says, Madoff... You were one shrewd dude. I mean, that move was savvy, bro. You were cunning and calculating and crafty like a fox. Bravo, Mr. Madoff, bravo. Now, I can imagine that all of the disciples are sitting around listening to Jesus and they're thinking, What is that? Where is he going with this? This is strange. This doesn't sound like a parable Jesus would tell. And maybe you're thinking that. But then Jesus tells them flat out where he's going. Verse 8. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, disciples, I want you to learn this. You know, all those non-Christians that you, you kind of think that you're better than them? I mean, come on. You kind of do. Well, they've got you guys beat when it comes to using worldly wealth on what they think is important. They've got you beat. They wheel and deal for their present and their future like creative geniuses, but you guys, you know what is really important, what is actually important, but you don't invest in it with the same kind of acumen, the same kind of ingenuity, the same kind of passion, you just don't do that. You know eternity awaits, but you seem to be more interested in living for today for your own benefit, than you do having an eternal mindset. And if that wasn't jarring enough, then Jesus goes on to say, verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Whoa. Wow. Wow. That I did not expect to hear from Jesus, right? And yet it's straight out of his mouth. Now, before we go on to try to explain where Jesus is coming from and what he's trying to tell us, let me explain one particular phrase, the phrase unrighteous wealth in this. Literally, that phrase is the mammon of unrighteousness. Now, mammon being possessions of all kinds that are a part of this world. See, there are lots of people who, when they read this passage, they think that Jesus is saying, if you happen to be someone who has ill-gotten gains, maybe you had some kind of pyramid scheme or something and you got some money for yourself that was not on the up and up, then you should use that money for the good of others. Kind of like what Zacchaeus did when he was taking some money off the top in his tax collecting and then he gave it to people as he came to Christ. And that's possible but that's what Jesus meant by this. But I think it means it's more probable that Jesus is referring to material possessions of this world, worldly possessions, earthly possessions in general. And the contrast that Jesus sets up in this passage bears that out. Again, verse 8. For the sons of this world, right, people who live in this world, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The sons of light belong to the age to come. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. So there's a contrast between people who live in this age and people who are going to live in the next. This is further played out in verse 11. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Now, how can you be faithful in unrighteous wealth? If it's, you know, dirty money. If it's filthy lucre, how can you be um, faithful with it? So he's basically saying this is the unrighteous wealth, that is, the money, the possessions of this world. If you haven't been faithful with that, who is going to entrust to you the true riches? That is, what's going to come. So what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting material wealth in this age, this present evil age, to the true riches of the age to come, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, and I know this sounds strange, but it is what Jesus does. He's basically saying, you guys should be more like the dishonest manager in this parable. Not that you should lie. Not that you should be dishonest. Not that you should steal or be sneaky. But learn something. Learn something from Him. And the thing that you need to learn is to be wise with what you have in front of you. Use the resources that are available to you wisely in a way that will affect eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. Use those resources in a way that honors God, that seeks first the kingdom, and that seeks the good of others. put it another way, Jesus is saying, if non-Christians often display wisdom in using worldly possessions that will only affect life in this fallen and temporal world, how much more, how much more should we, who know that we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, We who have every spiritual blessing in Christ, we who have been given everything in Christ, how much more should we display wisdom in how we use our resources both now in this life and for the life to come? Everybody following where I'm coming from and what I think Jesus is saying? That's it. That's the gist of this passage. Jesus is telling us to use the resources available to us wisely with eternity in mind. And that's how we can reach out without freaking out. Use what's already in front of us. Use what we already have. For Christ's kingdom. For the good of others. And you know, we can do this We can do this because of a certain reason. We can do this freely and generously. We can give to Christ's kingdom freely and generously because these resources are not ultimately ours. They belong to God. That might come as a shock to some of you. You We're Americans and the American dream is that we own stuff, apparently lots of stuff. But the Scriptures teach us that we are freed up in Christ to freely and generously give resources to something bigger than ourselves because they are not really ours. They belong to God. Did you notice that in our call to worship this morning from 1 Chronicles 29? We started off this whole worship service with these words, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Right? All that is in the heavens and in the earth, is God's. Not mine. Not yours. Not even ours. God's. As the sovereign creator of all things, God owns it all. All of it. And if you think about it this way, we do not have any final rights to anything we own. Because it all belongs to God. Our bank account belongs to God. Our house belongs to God. Our car belongs to God. Our eye products belong to God. Whatever it is that we have, it belongs to God. And it doesn't ultimately belong to us. You know how I know that? Because every single one of us, when we die, we don't take it with us. Everything we have. Every flower that we pick from a garden. Every book that we have on our bookshelf. Every knickknack that we put on a table. All the way up to the biggest things that we can think of that we own. They all are a gift on loan from God. As 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? See, we all think that we have earned things. That's the way we, 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 we figure things out. We say, I've I earned this. I worked hard to engage in commerce so that I can get these things. But who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you the ability to get stuff? Who made the stuff in the first place that the stuff was made out of? It all is God's. Or as John the Baptist says in John 3:27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Whatever it is, that you think is yours, it's really God's, and he is loaning it to you. And that's doubly true for those of us who call Jesus Lord, King, Master, right? When we call someone master basically what we're saying is i'm your servant and i'm here to do what you call me to do you say the word and i will do it if you say take these take these possessions that i have and do something else with them besides what i want to do with them i'm there that's what it means to be a servant of a master And our master is Christ. And as uh, Abraham Kuyper once said, and um, some of you may have known this quote, there is not a square inch, not even a square inch, in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And not in a selfish brat way, right? In the king way. This is all mine. And I'm sharing it with you for your enjoyment and for the use of the kingdom. But never forget, it's not yours, it's mine. And so, just like the manager of this parable, we are managers. We are stewards, not stewards, That would be terrible if all of us were stewards. There should only be one of us, believe me. But we are stewards. We are managers of our mega rich God and all of his stuff that he's given to us, that he's given to us. We are managers of it. We are stewards. And as God's stewards, we are to be faithful. We're to be faithful in using our resources for God's glory and the good of others. That's what this is about. That's what this passage is saying. As God's stewards, were to be faithful in using our, in quotes, resources for God's glory and for the good of others. In Luke 16, 9, when he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, what he's saying there is do good things. Do good things to other people for the kingdom. Or as uh, Jesus goes on to say in verse 10 and following, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much what what you've been given what i've been given that's a very little compared to what we're going to have and if we can be faithful with what god's given us now god also knows that we're going to be faithful in the age to come with true riches and that's what he says in verse 11 if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth who will entrust to you the true riches And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And then Jesus sums it up with verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, You cannot serve God and money. I don't know if you hear this the way that I hear it, but Jesus is really giving us an ultimatum. There's only one Lord of your life. Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be your stuff? There's no room for a middle ground. We will either try to use earthly possessions to serve God or we will try to use God to serve our earthly possessions. That's just the way it is. There's no third option. I find it really ironic, and and I'm talking to myself with this. I'm not trying to, you know, step on toes out there without stepping on my own. I find it really ironic that the church, for ages, has sang the song "I Surrender All, All to Jesus, I Surrender," and yet we have an iron grasp, an iron grip, on our wallets and pocketbooks, on our calendars and schedules on our assets and our accessories. But Christ is saying, those things were given to you, not just for your enjoyment. Now listen to that just. It is there for your enjoyment, but not just for your enjoyment. It's there for the kingdom. It's there for some bigger purpose than just your life. Christ is calling us to use our possessions the good of others christ is calling us to give and this is all over the scriptures but in one particular passage that i really love is uh, luke chapter 6 verse 38 where jesus says give and it will be given to you good measure pressed down shaken together running over will be put into your lap for the with the measure that you use it will be measured back to you what jesus is talking about there if you don't know the the context. If you were to buy corn and someone wants to have like a container and they just poured some corn in there and just handed it to you, you're getting cheated out of some corn. Because if you just pour some in there without shaking it up, pressing it down, and then putting some more in until it starts to blow over, you're getting cheated out of your corn. Because there's more space in your container. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you give generously, God, God is going to be that that one who takes your container and he doesn't just pour some in there. He pours some in and he shakes it up and he presses it down and he puts some more in there and he shakes it up again and he presses it down until it's running over into your lap. Because that's the kind of God we serve, a giving God. In fact, Jesus calls us to give so generously that we don't expect anything in return. And I know this is going (laughs) to like... This one's going to really make some of us uncomfortable. But Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus says, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return. And you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey. Don't hold so tightly to the things that you have. Use them for the good of others. Way back in Genesis, when God told Abraham He was going to bless him so that he would be a blessing to the nations, the same is true for us. We have been blessed in Christ so that we can be a blessing to others by using what God has given us. Now, If you are following what I'm saying, there are some of you who are probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now because you're thinking, okay, what am I going to have to give up? What am I going to have to let go of? What am I going to have to do differently? How much is it going to cost me? Anybody thinking that? I know I I am when I'm reading this passage. What is it going to cost me? This is where the gospel comes in and this is where I hope you will get great encouragement because whatever we may give up for God and others in this life is nothing compared to what awaits us in Christ. Do you hear me? Whatever we have to give up for God and for others in this life, is nothing compared to what awaits us in Christ. And that is what Jesus is talking about in verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Not that you earn your way into heaven. Not that you earn your way into the age to come because you bought friends but there are going to be people that you have given to that when you get there, they're going to celebrate. They're going to thank you. And they're going to welcome you, saying it was because you were faithful to Jesus that I believed. It was because you were faithful in giving that I received what I needed and my ears were open to hear the gospel for the first time. It was because you gave. That I'm here. Thank you. That's what Jesus is getting at in verse 9. And so, verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in your unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? The true riches are what awaits us. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? This is a beautiful truth. Right now, everything that we have is on loan. But in the age to come, we share it with Jesus. And it's just as much ours as it is His. That's beautiful, isn't it? As uh, Paul says in one passage, it's an, an, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And the truth is, folks, we've been given so much already. Because every single one of us, I don't know if you recognize this, but every single one of us, we're in debt. We're in debt to God. Sort of like these debtors of this parable. We owe more than we can actually pay. We failed to give God what he deserves. Every single one of us. And a little bit like the dishonest manager, Jesus comes to us. Now, he doesn't come to us with dishonesty. He comes to us with perfection. And he says, look, I don't want to just take away a little portion of your debt. I want to take it all. And that's what he did. He paid the price of our debt that we owe to God at a cross when his life poured out. For us. As 2 Corinthians 8-9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. And even though he poured out all of himself at the cross and died for us, he also rose from the dead for us. And through his resurrection, he guarantees to us that everything that he has promised us, everything is truly ours. Not by our works, not because we did this or that or the other, but simply because he loves us. And then, on top of all of that, when we give, even in this age, even, yeah, we're waiting for the, rich, the true riches of the life to come, but we, even when we give here, Jesus gives us a promise, and it's a beautiful promise, and it's a promise that I repeat to myself often. From Acts 20, 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Even in this life, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's God's promise to us. All right, so we've said a lot. What's the action point for this week? Well, the action point for this week is basically this. Use the resources God has entrusted to you, whatever those may be, for kingdom purposes. Just use whatever God has given to you for kingdom purposes. Now, the easiest way to see how this works is give to the mission of the kingdom. Give to the church. Give to missions. Give to ministry. Give willingly and generously in a way that will have ripple effects throughout eternity. But there are other ways, too. Use the resources that you actually have in front of you for the needs of other people. Do you have money? There are people who need help, and you may be able to help them financially. Do you have a house? There are people who may need to stay in your house for some time. There are people who may just want to enjoy a good meal with you. There are people who may need to spend the night for some reason, use those resources for the good of other people. Do you have other kinds of material possessions? Do you have books? I got plenty of books. Lend freely and generously. Do you have clothes? Do you have a truck or a car? There was a family in this particular church who has been very gracious, and any time I ask, hey, we've got some stuff we need to move. Can we borrow your truck? Just like that. Yeah, it's yours. That's what we're talking about. Just use what you have for the benefit of of others. Invest in what is going to be eternal. Speaking of investing, I, I was curious since I used the Bezos example earlier in the service, I I, I was um, curious, how rich would I be if I had invested in Amazon back when it started in 1997? And so you can actually do this. You can go to Investopedia online, and you can find out how much you would make. It's, um, so I found out that if I, invet, if I had invested $10,000 on day one of Amazon when they offered shares, it would be over $10 million today. That's nothing compared to the riches that await us that we can invest in today. So... By the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, let's invest well in the kingdom of God. Let me pray that we'll be able to do that. Um, Holy Spirit, will you please help us? Help us in the name of Jesus to invest well in the kingdom, to use these resources that you have given us for the good of other people for the upbuilding of the kingdom and for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray this for your glory again. Amen.